Hi everyone, this is John and TJ. Welcome to our fifth, fifth ALN Math Talk for Season 2. Math Talk is where we answer your questions about online lessons, math learning, and the meaning of mathematics. Welcome everyone. We have some uh, great upcoming events. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast before November 11th of 21, uh, we are continuing our All Learners Annual Conference. Uh, that'll be the second date, and then it also continues on December 8th. But the big news is we have Steve Linewan as our keynote uh, for the 11th. So sign up uh, on our website. It is free. Uh, thank you to the Vermont Agency of Education. Um, we also have a bunch of events, John, coming up uh, that are all uh, in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time, 4 to 6, um, or 4 to 7, uh, and those are all found under the events tab um, on our website. Again, thank you to the Vermont Agency of Education for sponsoring those. I'm wondering if the people out there can hear how how restful TJ feels and <laughs> how how warm and relaxed. Yeah, because he's in sunny Florida while we I do this recording while i am sitting here it's like i don't know 45 degrees gray skies it's about to start raining so i'm trying hard not to be jealous about that but i'm failing i'm just gonna say that i'm failing a little bit what what is it they say about envy john yeah i'm not green yet although green would be great for halloween right i mean that's true it could be the incredible hulk because when people see me that's what they think oh my god is that the incredible hulk right yeah Okay, so our social media lately has been a little preoccupied with what I thought was a small suggestion I made during the conference, that schools would be better off if they stopped teaching algorithms. Uh, and what I've discovered is that people who don't teach math are sometimes perplexed by this. So uh, we thought we would spend a little bit of time today talking about why we think it's beneficial, let's say that beneficial, if especially K to six teachers um, stopped teaching the algorithm. And there may be some case to be made for some of the algorithms in middle school. We're not really gonna go there today, but we wanna focus on what do we gain and what do we lose if we were to stop teaching the, the standard US algorithm. So what do you think about the algorithm? So, well, I will say, first of all, uh, uh, myself as a learner, like I was good at listening to the teacher and watching him or her or them show me uh, how to do these things. And then I was good at practicing them and getting good answers and getting good test scores. So for me as a learner growing up, like that worked really well. Um, but now as an adult and as someone who uh, leads a lot of professional development and learning with, with adult teachers, um, I've come in contact with a lot of people who did not have that same experience. Um, really their experience was they didn't understand or, or it didn't make sense to them. And so they struggled and, and I found it to be the source of a lot of disdain for mathematics in general. I mean, I, I fly a lot on planes and I'll get on a plane with a math resource book and, uh, you know, literature about math and, uh, and people, like, they'll give me like a really 
sad face and like ugh, like they'll you know make that ugh face. <laughs> they've never they've never done that when I'm reading a novel. You yeah. Know? Poor you, you have to do math. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think one of the things that's, that's confusing for again for people who don't do this, you know, I somebody was in this little exchange. There was this whole thing about well, why do you think? What gives you the right to say that um, algorithms are, are harmful to elementary school kids? And, you know, the, from my point of view, uh, it being in the classroom for 25 years and um, doing research in math education and being in hundreds and hundreds of classrooms and watching kids do this, it's, I don't, I don't even think it's a debatable point, but... Um, for folks that don't have those similar experiences, I think they're kind of expecting there to be, you know, sort of like a physics study, you know, where someone will determine, oh yeah, this is exactly uh, the thing that needs to happen and this is why. Um, and social science research gives us a lot of information, but it's, it's not definitive in that way. You know, Marilyn Burns says um, research can be used for or against almost every point we make. So, and we're going to talk a little bit about the research, but um, for me, it's, it's really has more to do with what we see in classrooms on a daily basis. And the people who respond to the information who have actually spent time in classrooms, um, I think are kind of on board with what we're, what we're going to talk about today. So, it was interesting, um, the, the, uh, the conversation on social media, it, to me it felt like, well, the, two things. One is it felt like they were very fixated on what is the research that backs up your thinking, yeah. right? And, and I think being dismissive of like, like you said, 25, I've been in education 25 or so years. Um, I have a lot of experiences that, that can back that up, yep. you know, just like experiences of my own, experiences with other adults. Um, but I think the other piece, I'm wondering if it's a nuanced thing that they weren't understanding. As you were saying, don't teach the algorithm. I never heard you say that students who learn it or from some other source or develop it themselves, that they shouldn't use it, but that they you shouldn't be teaching that because as soon as a teacher teaches something, right, then the students get the message like, oh, this is important. This is what I should be doing. Sure. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've taught, you know, in the past, before I knew better, taught something to, to, to students, and then they forget everything else that they kind of knew. Right. I mean, we have, actually, we have lots of samples of that, of kids who uh, apply the multiplication algorithm to addition because they think... You know, that's what they're supposed to be doing. I, I think one of the foundational pieces about this, which is where folks who hear this statement don't teach the algorithm, or, or there are benefits to not teaching the algorithm, uh, I think there's a fundamental difference between what maybe what they think math learning is and what we think it is. Right? So there's very robust, and all one has to do is go to NCES or NAEP. Any, any of the government sites on the state of mathematics. And what you find is um, only about half, in, in, in terms of eighth and 11th grade, much less than half of the students in the country are actually competent with math. And a lot of that has to do with their understanding. And if, if showing someone how to do something and having them copy your thinking um, 
was effective for everyone, um, it would we would see that. Also, if it was completely ineffective, we would have abandoned it by now. Mm. And so the fact that it's it's helpful for some students means it's still got a foot in the door. The problem is that when you peel away which students are most helped by doing what the teacher does, by emulating or copying, and then working toward understanding by copying someone else's thinking, they're all people who look like the teacher. And you know, there's a reason that there are achievement uh, gaps between students of color and students on IEPs and students who are poor. Um, the more that we rely on students copying the thinking of the teacher, the more it's dependent on there being a close link between the teacher's background and way of thinking and the students. So our point of view is that students really need to build their own understanding, not based on the teacher's understanding, but uh, on interaction with mathematics. And uh, we are not suggesting that, you know, there are people who really believe you got to teach kids, I'm going to use quotes here, the right way to do something. And then they have to practice it over and over again. Um, they, they will characterize an inquiry or a constructive approach as, hey kids, here's a problem, go invent mathematics. And, you know, of course, it's nothing like that. But the beginning premise of the way we see math being available to all learners is that we have to start by solving problems in a way that makes sense to the learner. The learner that's has so, to make that's meaning. That's so interesting, John, because like you, you know, I've interacted with lots and lots of teachers uh, in different states, even in different countries. And um, so I'm going to be able to return the favor of a little jealousy when you're in Italy soon. Uh, but uh, I, I, I do these activities where I'll ask people to, um, you know, just as an icebreaker, like choose three words that describe, you know, your feelings when you think about how you learn math. And they're usually pretty negative words, you know, anxiety, fear, hate, whatever. Um, but I'll, I'll often, very often, more often than not, have at least one person come up to me at a break or something and say, you know what, I used to have all this flexible thinking when I was a kid and, and, and I hid it from the teacher because I, that wasn't the way I was being taught to do this, right, which were the algorithms. Um, and, and these are people who were flexible, they had great number sense, they could break numbers apart, use them flexibly, but they hid it from the teacher. And I just can't tell you how many people have told me that. So everything you were just saying, right there, and there it is right there, people who felt they wanted to make sense of math, but the teacher was not teaching it in a way that allowed them to do that. Well, and again, to be fair to the teachers, very few teachers very few teachers have been taught to do much more than explain well. And the models that they've had, uh, even though we've known that we can be more effective if the students are building understanding. Um, sorry about all these beeps. I, of course, didn't figure out how to turn them off. Um, so this whole, we're really behind in this whole notion of understanding, which is why and, and, and I, I want to I give some validity to the fact that the, the 
folks on Twitter who were uh, worried about uh, not teaching the algorithm believe that students understand what they're taught in school when the teacher tells them what to do. So, for example, I, I made the comment that um, the division algorithm and the subtraction algorithm and the fraction algorithms particularly are problematic in that the division algorithm is, uh, is often taught as a series of steps, right? Do this, do this, do this. The steps themselves don't have meaning and teachers ask kids to memorize things like, I, I posted that, McDonald's serves cheeseburgers, doesn't yeah. serve cheeseburgers raw or something. Um, uh, and this person said no one had ever been taught division without understanding. And then ever. And I thought, oh, oh my God, you've never been in a, you've never been in a school. Like the, the standard operating procedure in many, many schools is to teach the division algorithm. And if you ask students what they're doing or why they're doing it, they, they don't have a clue. Um, it's just a series of things they're made to do and follow. And so for uh, what we see at, in reading research, so I'm not going to dwell on the research, but you could point to things like all the work done at the Freudenthal Institute on realistic math education and the follow-up work done here by people like Marty Simon and Doug Clements um, around a series of problem experiences which lead to these mathematical insights or understanding and that kids develop greater understanding that moves up with them over time. Uh, there was a there was a project done in Wisconsin called Cognitively Guided Instruction. Uh, Thomas Carpenter and Elizabeth Fenema and Ooh. Megan Lufke, a whole there's a whole crew that spent years and um, using these same kind of methods that stress that students understand what they're doing, not that they follow a procedure that the teacher shows them. Uh, over time, every kid in that district met local standards in mathematics. Um, so there's good evidence, uh, in, you know, Constance Kamai, and you were talking about um, Kathy Fasno, Kathy Fasno Math yeah. in the City, and uh, her associate there, Stefanovu. Um, yeah, there's, there, there's evidence, but, you know, there's a disconnect. So having worked in higher ed and having worked in the schools, I know that there's somewhat of a disconnect between the work that researchers do and the work that goes on in the schools. And in this case, I would say researchers had some really interesting ideas, but the way they play out in the schools is that teachers need to create structures, and we talk a lot about that in the All Learners Network, create structures that support students to make sense of the math they're doing. Uh, and so we say when you give someone an algorithm, um, they might understand, as you pointed out, it's possible they understand, but what happens more often is that students mimic the work of the algorithm and don't really know what they're doing. Well, and I think we have to be focused on what is the big idea around, like, what is mathematics? Is mathematics 
listening to someone and learning some steps that you then are able to repeat, that's really not a very high level skill, right? That like that's what we used to honor years ago when we were preparing a workforce to work in factories, right? We of course still have some people that work in factories, but but really what what large corporations, what dynamic companies, Fortune 500 companies are looking for is they're looking for people who are flexible thinkers, people who are problem solvers. They're, you know, they have dynamic thinking. They're able to shift their mind based on new evidence and be able to explain themselves. So those kind of characteristics don't get developed when we stand in front of a class and teach them steps to a procedure. But they are in the, the, the standards, right? Most states have uh, standards that are at least loosely, if not directly based on Common Core. And there are specific grade levels where they're expected to be able to use the standard algorithm or the traditional algorithm as one strategy. And I think that's where many people get in themselves in trouble is they think like, oh, here's all these flexible ways we learn to add and subtract in kindergarten, first, second, and bid in third. And then by fourth grade, they need to know this algorithm and then forget all that other stuff. I mean, it's just one more tool to add to your collection of tools. It, and it shouldn't, you know, take the place of everything else. It could be just one tool. But I think it's the, like, when do you teach it? When do you introduce it? Um, how do you do that? You know, if you if you then forget everything else that, that you've learned to that point, then that's not helping students to really understand math. I suppose, I, I would say though, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's really very necessary at all these days because essentially an algorithm is an automatic procedure, right? And so that's why some people really like it. One guy pointed out it works every time. And supposedly his six-year-old said it worked every time. I'm mm -hmm. a little dubious about that. But, but, you know, it works every time. Well, there are lots of strategies that work every time. But by the time you're at a point where uh, you can do something automatic, right, where you don't need to think about it anymore, you're just plugging and chugging, which is what an algorithm is, you could just pick up a calculator. You know, there right. we had the we had the algorithms at a certain point in history because we needed to be able to compute sometimes quite large numbers um, quickly and efficiently. And so we had this process which didn't really require you to think very much about it, and you could plug the numbers in and chug through. Uh, and unfortunately, that's, be, that's become the goal, not the vehicle. And uh, as a result, we have kids who will put the thing in, put the numbers in, and plug and chug, and not really be able to tell you, uh, you know, what they found. So, you know, I posted an example working with some wonderful teachers down in Massachusetts. And, you know, they were given this problem about two-thirds of a paint can that, sorry, a paint can, one can of paint, paints two-thirds of a wall. And you wanted to paint 11 walls, and so how many cans of paint do you need? And the kids in these classrooms um, multiplied 11 by two-thirds, they used the algorithm, and 
they came up with seven and a third cans of paint. And when I went around to see the work initially, and there were other teachers in the room and they were all interested um, about that, but they also thought, well, um, what, how do we get the kids, other than saying, oh yeah, no, it's not a multiplication, how do we get the kids to understand that their approach isn't really appropriate? So we asked the question, uh, do you need more than, if, if one can of paint paints only two-thirds of a wall, do you need more than 11 cans or less than 11 cans? And when confronted with that, kids at every table sort of said, oh. And then they went to drawing pictures, creating models of the walls. Some kids only needed two because you find that you need three cans of paint for two walls and they were able to take that relationship and work it all the way up to 11 walls. Some kids drew all 11 walls and divided them into thirds and counted the painting. But they had a, even though that's not an efficient strategy and we would need to work on making it efficient, they at least did something they understood. When they just cranked through the multiplication, they didn't really know what they were doing. They just found the numbers and did the, did the thing that they thought they were supposed to do. Well, and what, and what happens when you understand, right? All of a sudden, oh, I'm more engaged. I can ask a question. Yes. I can share a, a thought or an idea, even if it's not a complete idea. But I'm not, you know, relegated to the sidelines of learning, um, which I think happens or traditionally has happened, like you pointed out early, to those traditionally marginalized communities, people of color, um, girls, uh, students who are, are on IEPs. Um, and we have to find ways to invite all of those learners in, um, hence our name, All Learners Network, right? Yeah, yeah, we need, we need to, to promote pedagogy, instructional methods that allow every child to access this math. And if it were true, what we hear sometimes, that if we just explained it more and made them practice more, they would get it, um, then I would say, well, then let's do that. But none of us find that to be true. You know, no. do it more, do it harder is seldom the solution to a problem. Some, there are instances where it might be true, but it's seldom a solution. And more often than not, when a kid is having difficulty accessing learning, we need to think about doing something different as a teacher. And I wonder if, if making the analogy and connection to literacy is helpful um, because I find, I mean, I find in general community members, parents of, of students in, in general have the mindset about, you know, doing math is the algorithms, right? I learned those procedures. Yes. That, that's the formulas, the yeah. Um, but I actually find there are still some teachers that think that unfortunately because i think like you pointed out early many of us if not most of us were taught that way so we weren't taught in a way that we're now expected to be teaching teaching to understanding so i think it's so important that um that we can we educate the general population and that connection to literacy is i don't think anyone thinks 
will teach students one strategy, which is sound it out when they don't know a word. And well, if, if they try to sound it out and they can't, we'll just keep hammering. Well, did you try sounding it out? We'll try sounding it out again. No, there's a toolbox of strategies. You look at the picture clue, you read to the end of the sentence, skip the word, go back. You look at the front, <laughs> the beginning chunk, the end chunk. Yeah, I, 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 strategies. it's true. And I'm, I agree with you, but I got to tell you, um, and I don't want to open a can of worms with this, but there are lots of places that are doing this unfortunately misnamed scientific reading uh, and there are a lot of places that have gone back to just phonics only and mm. and with the predictable results um, but I, I don't want to open the reading can of worms because it is a big can of worms but I I agree with you right the more strategies you have mm. to understand something the more kids should be able to access it, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I think of my own learning, and I went all through high school. I was in college. I had, did a graduate degree, and it wasn't until I was actually teaching in a school and teaching fifth grade, I was using a Bridges, the Bridges program, that I, that I finally understood preparing for the lesson. I understood division. Like, it took me to that point. Um, like, I don't think that's the way things should be. I, I should have understood division coming out of elementary school, uh, but I didn't. Well, so here's here's an interesting, uh, I'll, I'll kind of, because I realize we're, we've actually, we could go on a long time about this. Um, let me give a famous expression for anyone that's listening, whether you're feeling any empathy towards us or not about this particular topic. Uh, a woman named Li Ping Ma, wrote a really famous book in 1999 about fundamental mathematics and she had a hundred or uh, around a hundred Chinese teachers and around a hundred American teachers that were given a series of mathematical tasks and she wanted to explore I think it might have been her dissertation she she wanted to explore the differences in the way Chinese teachers approached mathematics and American teachers approached mathematics so there was a series of problems, but the one that I've talked about for years now is she gave teachers the expression one and three quarters divided by a half. So if you're, if you're not familiar with this, I would urge you to write that expression on a piece of paper while you're listening. One and three quarters, one three quarters, one and three quarters divided by a half. And she asked the Chinese teachers and the American teachers to construct a word problem that would require that expression to solve. And so the Chinese teachers, a little uh, less than half, did not have a college degree. In China, you didn't need a bachelor's degree to teach up to grade eight. At the time, I guess. And the American teachers, all, whatever, 90-something of them, they were all 8th grade math teachers in the United States. They all had master's degrees. So all of the Chinese teachers were able to create a word problem that accurately expressed this relationship, one and one half divided by a half. Every one of them, and 80% of them were able to use two entirely different contexts in multiple word problems. Among the American teachers, about a hundred, not a single one created an appropriate word problem because 
the emphasis was all on solving equations that already existed. Right? If you give an American student or an American teacher one and three quarters divided by a half, they're going to turn one and three quarters into an improper fraction, and they're going to flip a half, and they're going to multiply across. The problem is that in the mathematical world, nobody hands you a sheet of equations to solve. It's all about problems to solve. And the American teachers all said, so if you're listening, you can look in your own head and think about, well, what were you thinking when I brought this up? All of the American teachers did some version of, I have one and three quarters of something, pie, flour, or something, and I divide it in half into two pieces. And of course, one and three quarters divided by a half is not the same as one and three quarters divided in half. And one and three quarters divided in half is multiplication. So the one and three quarters divided by half is actually asking the question, how many one halves are there in one and three quarters? And I've done this problem with hundreds, maybe at this point thousands of teachers and students, and very, very few understand that that's what one and three quarters divided by a half means. They're really capable at inverting and multiplying, or what, what is it they say, keep change flip. Butterfly method. Yeah, so uh, when I was in school, we, we had the saying, ours is not to reason why we invert and multiply. And of course, the not reasoning why part is the difficulty with the entire thing. So just kind of as a closing thought, I wanted to say that the reason that we want this, that we want to leave the algorithm, is that it's pretty easy to think about and work with models to understand how to take halves out of a whole that's one and three quarters. And you take a half, well, one great model that I like, not everybody likes this, but one of my undergrads came up with this. If you think of one and three quarters miles as the distance you want to run, and you think of the track as a half mile long, then you do one loop and you're at a half mile. And you do another loop and you're at a mile. And you do another loop and you're at one and a half miles. But you want to get to one and three quarter miles, so you need to do another half a loop. And altogether you do three and a half loops. Anyway, I hope that people will will think about that. Um, TJ, did you want to share any closing ideas about this algorithm not teaching yeah, the algorithm well i think i think to those people out there whether they're educators or not whether you think you have an opinion about this because you went through school right I, I would just say try a number talk with a young person um and if that young person is very rigid and only has the algorithm as a strategy they will fail mentally at some point when you do number talks because a number talk uh, is supposed to be done mentally. And when, when students don't have paper pencil to keep track of all the steps, it doesn't make sense. And they, they, they make errors. So over-reliance on that is, uh, is just rampant, I think. It, it is. And our goal, again, is not, 
if the if what w people were doing worked for all learners, we'd be supporting it. We're all about what's practical, but unfortunately, it's not working. And the the kinds of meaning based approaches that we talk about in all learners and we write about and we there's a lot of uh, them that you can find that you can uh, have for nothing. Like it's it's not just about you using our stuff. Our goal is that we. We are advocating methods that are going to allow all children to access important mathematics. And when we say all, we mean all. We mean all. So thanks so much, people out there, for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. We certainly did, and I'm guessing that maybe we can get somebody on and uh, re revisit this whole idea. Remember, you can find a recording of today's webinar at alllearnersnetwork.com or on Spotify or on Anchor, along with free weekly online lessons, high leverage concepts, high leverage assessments, high leverage t-shirts, belt buckles, and coffee mugs. ALN Math Talk is produced by the All Learners Network, all rights reserved. Executive producers, Sandy, Miss Elementary Math Stanhope, and John, who's just thinking Tapper. TJ, the designer Jemison, is the co-host. Spiritual and mathematical guidance has been provided by Robert Fly in the Water Micro Brew Stats Loving Laird, who reminds us that we'd probably be more successful if we just drew a freaking picture. Our theme music was written and performed by Sarah Blair. Join us next time for another math talk. Catch us next time. <laughs>